0: Welcome to another episode of Debatable. I'm Nina. I'm Kyle. And today we're going to talk about something that's rather close to my heart. It's how to debate international relations. Your heart. Yeah, my heart. (laughs) No one else's. Yes. Um, The reason I wanted to discuss this is because, well, I think a lot of people have been asking for a sort of brief on how to debate IR. It's also our anniversary month for Debatable on the 24th will be one year since we started this project
1: yeah and what better way to celebrate our anniversary than making people get reminded of how much they suffer under international relations
0: (laughs) yeah I also think IR as much as people hate it you you can't avoid it sadly it's always going to be a topic that comes out it's also something relevant not just in debate but in everyday life And whether you like it or not, you'll need to know a little bit of IR to survive. Especially with the trade wars going on, especially with the coronavirus on the rise, especially with the, like, I don't know, China in general wreaking havoc on our nation. You'll you'll have to know a little bit. And we also want to sort of demystify the difficulty that surrounds international relations. I don't think it's difficult because it's just like any other topic. It's just it requires a lot of matter. For you to do it right. But there is a way to survive IR even without matter. And trust me, I've done that a lot.
1: (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) I'm shameful about it. But you know, sometimes in debates, you just really don't know things. So might as well know the basics to survive it.
1: I agree with you that it's just like any other topic that you may or may not know something in order to... It just so happens that it's very difficult to word some IR motions without putting matter into it. Yeah. Yeah, so unlike, for example, religion motions, where you don't necessarily have to look at one specific phenomenon in the religious experience or in organized religions to make a motion out of it, but for IR, in a lot of cases, you need a specific like,
0: foundation Foundation yeah. or like a
1: piece of matter or a case study that you can base a motion around.
0: Yeah, but that's the point of this episode. We're yeah. going to teach you how to create that foundation, and everyone's foundation's different, My foundation is because I'm a political science major, so I do know a lot of theories and i build on that. Some people just have a lot of matter, like Kyle, and he builds stories around the matter and news articles he knows about. So it's always different for everyone. There's no correct way to learn about international relations. So this episode's going to be a sort of compilation of my knowledge as a debater, Kyle's knowledge as a debater my knowledge as a political science major, as well as the material I've encountered from other debaters who have written manuals on this or have written their own matter primers. If you want to know the specific ones I've used, you can just message me. Uh, I don't think I have the time to sort of cite all of them because this episode script that I've written is sort of condensed a lot it's of it. It's four
1: pages long. <laughs>
0: well, yes. It's a
1: four-page long outline.
0: Yes, but it is important to know what I have no idea how long this episode is going to be. But it's a special. If you had an hour-long episode for religion, I can have my hour for international relations. <laughs> except
1: except the IR quote-unquote episode is actually a series of four hour-long episodes. Don't. Don't make them scared. (laughs) Okay, so introduction
0: first to international relations. I think there are a few things that's important to know. The first would be that IR generally pertains to issues about international laws, state actors, non-state actors, which is something you people usually forget. So it also includes international corporations, it also so includes like peacekeeping bodies, etc. And it's also about like, even citizens and refugees and people from everywhere around. So it, it encompasses a lot, but it usually looks at their relationships with each other. So it looks about, uh, it looks at political dynamics between states and other international actors. It's also about understanding the connections that are formed on a larger scale. Most BP have IR underpinning, so a lot of the motions that you encounter in BP, even in Asians, have a lot of IR even if they don't intend to, which is why a lot of people in closing half usually put IR into it. I I do that a lot. If the motion is feminism, I will find a way to make it about international relations because I can.
1: Some motions can be exclusively about IR and some can be only partially about IR. So you can have motions about regretting brexit or sanctioning the uk for brexit which is in my opinion almost exclusively about ir Uh, you have motions about um, having strict travel bans during pandemics which is a mix of international relations and public health policy you have motions about desecrating religious sites during times of war for example which is international relations in the sense it's about international humanitarian law and also about religion you also have philosophical motions that are also IR related like um, the use of clones during warfare or during war. And I think all of our motions is IR in general. Yeah. Yeah, like what you said, it's about the application of international law. So, if you're talking about wars, you have the Geneva Conventions and their additional protocols, and those are some of the applicable international law for those topics.
0: Yeah, but we won't delve into the specifics of those. Um, I think it'll take a long time to discuss them in detail. So let's just jump straight into like basic facets of international relations that I think are important to, to know, whether you're a debater or non-debater, to get you started on reading up and understanding the theme as a whole better. I think the first and most important thing to look at are the actors you think it's about the facts but I think that facts are secondary or like later on in the list of things you need to know the, the first is really just about the actors so there are a lot of actors you can look at governments movements organizations corporations etc and there are multiple ways you can talk about them you can talk about them as entities like refer to them as a whole or you can break them down and look at them as individual people Which I think is a a bit of a more strategic way to look at it.
1: It's also more tricky. Yes. But it's a valid attack, especially if we're talking about, for example, U.S. foreign policy. It's almost always going to require at least some bit of knowledge about how foreign policy is created in the United States. Like, who is the architect? Does it need the Senate to um, agree with it? Mm. Or, like, in some cases, like, Obama bypassed, like, Congress in order to... Um, conduct interventions in the Middle East.
0: Yeah, so you can know the U.S. as the U.S. and what they stand for or you can know U.S. as the government
1: that's currently in power. Like the metaphor that I used in the one of the elections episodes, I said you can look at it as a machine or you can look at it in terms of the parts of the machine. So it, it's something like that. Yeah. You can look at the state as a whole or you can look at the individual parts that make up the state. Yeah. Because there are specific arguments or angles that you can use using both lens.
0: The things to focus on in particular when talking about the actors are a lot actually the first would be look at the interests and motives of relevant actors so what does the u.s want overall or what do they want in the short term and the long term what does russia want what do multinational corporations generally want and these are things most people can come into agreement to and you illustrate this in three ways you one look at past behaviors and trends so this is both a mix of principle and pragmatic For example, the U.S. is pro-democracy and they want to free the world of authoritarianism, which dictates a lot of their short-term actions like interventions, etc., their policies. So the principle also ends up dictating the pragmatic, which is why it's important to look at trends and their past action. So you can look at purely the principle, which is what their ideologies are, what their culture is, what their worldview is. So even if they don't have an explicit like principle that they demonstrate in the international arena, understanding how their culture works gives you an insight to it. For example, the Japanese believe a lot in punctuality and for example, like giving back and camaraderie, which though they don't explicitly say it, ends up dictating how they interact with other foreign nations. And I think that's also something you might want to look into, though it's technically hard to understand it unless you're like inferring a lot of this to their policies like Kyle said.
1: Or um, something that I did rather recently was I took a, I took a look at different countries' constitutions. Oh <laughs> and yeah, I, I looked at how they treated international law because there are different ways to make international law part of domestic law. There is the transformation doctrine which says that International law is not automatically part of your law. It first needs to be transformed through an active state or through the legislature into domestic law. Mm -hmm. There's another viewpoint, which is the incorporation doctrine, where you just incorporate um, international law into domestic law. So I, I looked at different countries and I found that different countries use the incorporation and the transformation doctrines differently. So the Philippines has both. Like, for treaties, it has to be transformed using an Act of Congress, which is why you have Senate concurrence as a requisite. Yeah. But it also has incorporation doctrine, which is why you look at uh, Article 2 of the Constitution, and it says that the international law forms... Ah, uh, no. Generally, generally accepted principles of international law form part of the law of the land. So, if it's treaties, it's transformation. If it's customary law, it's part of the law of the land. And I, I looked at different constitutions from different countries, and for me, looking at those basic laws from those countries made me realize, oh, different countries have different relationships with international law in general. Yeah. Not just particular treaties, but like from a philosophical point of view, how do they treat the laws of nations with regard to their own domestic law.
0: Yeah. So that's looking at their culture's worldview and how they generally address the international stage. The third way to illustrate is to basically just look at the current situation. This is always going to change because that's the nature of international relations. That's the nature of the world in general. So you just have to constantly read up to know the situation. And I think, you know, even if there are things that are foundational, there are always going to be updates on it. So make sure that you know what these updates are you don't want to be entering around with outdated matter you think for example that people are still dealing with SARS but we're already in the
1: coronavirus era etc yeah and also my, my tip here is look at the statements from the leaders of those particular countries because it gives you a lot of like Mm, What do they want to happen? What do they believe in? Yeah.
0: Which brings us to the second thing you should focus on. Besides looking at the interests and motives, you can also look at the cost-benefit analysis of certain actions. And this will require listing down a lot of the pros and cons for implementing a certain policy or for a country to intervene or not intervene, etc. So you can look at the concerns being tackled by the state or the organization or the corporation outside of this debate and whether they prioritize your policy or not. For example, what's the priority right now of the Philippines regarding the coronavirus? As much as we'd say it's a priority, we could also say, for example, that Duterte would still want to prioritize his drug war, which is why he cut $10 from our health budget, right? So that dictates a lot of the mindset. It dictates a lot of our capacity to deal with the current situation.
1: And also in practice, I watched this debate before. I forget the motion, but the motion was about international relations and Sort of it's like This house supports XYZ policy So it's like A set of policies Including XY and Z And the argument Of the prime minister Was just Okay let's look at X X is beneficial Because of 1, 2, 3 Y is beneficial Because 1, 2, 3 Z is beneficial 1, 2, 3 And then they won
0: Yeah do not underestimate the power of lists because <laughs> we have also won using that kind of method of course it's not the, the
1: uh, like foolproof
0: but it's a good way to start looking at cost-benefit analysis the third way to like win using actor analysis or the third thing you have to focus on is to look at the capabilities of actors so even if they have a certain mindset or a certain worldview it doesn't always mean they can push through with it and I think I have two case studies for this the first would be Like, it would seem realistic that China would wage war, for example, and everyone's always tense about it. But they don't objectively have the capabilities to push through the war. Compared to the U.S., they lack aircraft carriers, naval capital ships, and the logistical support to launch a military intervention compared to other nations. Which is why a lot of their actions are rooted in economic factors. They wage economic wars. They wage trade wars because that's their advantage. And they know that. So, they have a limited capacity in this area. Of course, this can also change, but it's relevant to know what states can realistically do now and what they can't do. And this is why it's also important to look at it. For example, first world countries versus developing countries, and why a lot of developing countries rely on first world countries, for example.
1: Yeah. Yes. Anything but, you want to add? <laughs> but, um, I was also thinking. There are lots of other factors that constrain capa- capabilities of states. For example, in your in your example about China, um, it's very difficult for any country to wage war, considering that the entire international community frowns upon um, uses of force or even a threat of using force without complying with strict guidelines. The only um, one of the only situations in which use of force is allowed is through self-defense. China cannot reasonably say that like, wanting um, Philippine territory is part of their self-defense measures, for example. So it's true. very difficult, in my opinion, to just justify that China will wage war on us because we're exerting our sovereignty over the West Philippine Sea, for example. Yeah. Yeah. So, it, it seems easy to like just accept that China is more powerful than us. But, you have to be more realistic than that like superficially yes they have like a better military than us but realistically speaking considering all the other factors they're not as capable as our president makes us believe it is
0: yeah another example is for example i keep saying example like how kazakhstan cannot ally with the west as much as they want to because russia and their borders are too close to each other so any allyship that Alliance, sorry. Any alliance that Kazakhstan ends up having with the West will put them in harm's way because Russia can easily like, overpower them given how close they are. So strategically, they had to like, make a compromise and choose Russia over the US. Because logistically speaking, it's impossible to get help from the West from that far away. Yeah. Okay. Bring a map. Yes, bring a map so you can understand these things. And I think like people underestimate how powerful maps are in the round. Like, trust me, they're so much you can say once you know who is surrounding a country okay the fourth thing to look at is internal political processes so this is where you look at not just how the machine works but the parts of the machine as Kyle mentioned you look at the unity and the composition of the actor for example the US and versus China you you could say that the, the China is not as capable but they're much more united they're less um, politically in turmoil compared to the US right now especially given the elections especially given Trump the divide between the democrats and republicans so you can also look at that and analyze how much power is jeopardized or amplified based on what's going on within a country basically that's it i think that looking at internal processes you can look at the party system you can look at the president you can look at the movements you can look at the regime and regime means basically the relationship between the state and the people
1: yeah, yeah. so a tip here is that if you you should think of international entities. So not just states, but also international organizations like the UN as actors with feelings and different capabilities and motives. It becomes easier to imagine how they'll work. So when I was a younger debater, especially during IR motions, I would always make a hugot line about relationships. Mm-hmm. And not always you I did pretty well for myself. You know what? No. <laughs> yeah, I,
0: I annoyingly know how well that works because when you just humanize states and just look at the relationships of countries just as a relationship between friends, a relationship between frenemies, or love interest, it becomes easier for you to like give advice, sort of. So imagine yourself in a situation where a friend is asking for advice about the relationship. And lo and behold, you're already talking about IR whether you know it
1: or not. Yeah. Yeah. So, kung, kung magaling ka mag-gossip.
0: <laughs> yeah. if you're really good at gossiping and you're really good at like, giving advice and looking at the scenarios and advising people, then it it's possible you're also going to be good at IR if you like, redirect those efforts into more facts. Which brings us to the next facet. So besides looking at actors, you can also look at facts. And what does that mean? Basically, it's the most intimidating thing in international relations. It's matter. And yeah. sorry, you can't avoid it. As much as you can just look at the actors and look at their behaviors, you'll need to know what's driving those behaviors. And I think that the complex thing about it is you need to know things and you need to know when to use the things that you know, which is the more difficult part, actually, of IR rounds. Because you can know a lot. You could be walking like almanac, you can be a walking encyclopedia, but it doesn't mean you're automatically going to win a debate. And trust me, I've encountered so many people who have known more than me, but it doesn't ensure that you will automatically win a round.
1: That's why the, the strategy for those people, like those, those people who are super anal about like the facts or the, the mm-hmm. matter that they use, You you raise a POI, now we'll get them fixated on a particular piece of matter and they end up spending like an entire minute on it just to say that it's (laughs) wrong or it's applicable. Don't laugh at me. (laughs) I'm the type of person to do that.
0: Yeah, exactly. So I think it's important to know when to use the matter that you have or the facts that are important for your side of the debate.
1: Yeah, because there needs to be a balance between rhetoric and facts. So while you can survive with rhetoric in a lot of cases, debate can become the debate can become vague, and this happens a lot. So and in in the worst cases, it can even become incoherent because they're too generic. But on the other hand, if you use only facts and matter, which is also known as matter vomiting, it can cheapen a debate because it discourages the use of critical thinking. Um, it becomes difficult to cross check those examples, especially since. Judge, judges are just Average, reasonable Persons Making it easier For debaters to Just make up stuff To get ahead And we
0: discussed this Actually in a Previous episode Where How we talked About matter, matter. matter. Yeah, yeah. Um, You should also then Know when to bring up matter And I, I have a little bit Of guideline for this Of course It's just my personal guideline And something Kyle and I use When we debate together And what I use When I debate with others But it's not The guideline you should use But it might be A good basis to build your own rules upon so the first would be i generally have a rule where i have an example per premise per argument and i usually have three premises per argument so i have three examples or demonstrations for every argument i have that makes sure that it's a good balance for me between using rhetoric
1: and using facts to back those up so So basically there was this there was this instance in which i had to member for you and it was an international relations motion yep so you are just feeding me matter feeding matter and i was like okay but how are you gonna use this in an argument and you're like no you can just make an argument later <laughs> <laughs> facts
0: first facts first yeah because it was a really technical debate i think we were not on a very winning side like it was generally harder to argue for our side. I think we were defending China.
1: Yeah, we were defending China. And you were saying that it's so easy to demonize China. But if you look at it, one example. Next example. Young sa like, oh you know Nina that like in China you can now contest your parking tickets. Yeah progress. Progress. <laughs>
0: yeah so Basically, the use of matter can really determine how well you do in Iraq. The second rule is to make sure the matter is acceptable by both sides or accepted by both sides in a debate. Or else, you'll end up debating the matter. So you'll have issue upon sub-issue. Instead of debating the actual debate, you'll debate about the facts, which is never a good thing. Because you're wasting a lot of time. Yes. And that happens a lot. More than you know, I've been in a debate where I had to argue that like Africa was not near like a particular country or something and it was just really messy yeah it was really bad
1: yeah for the same reason that we generally don't like it when people issue definition challenges because instead of debating the issues you just debate on the definition it's the same if you're going to define the debate based on a particular set of facts if you challenge those facts in effect, it will lead to some sort of a definitional challenge. It's going to make everything messy.
0: Yeah, and my third general rule for using matter is to make sure that the matter supports the argument or the argument supports the matter. So it's up to you which one is the priority. I usually make arguments first and then I find appropriate matter for it. But there are certain times where I use matter first and build arguments around it. Like the example Kyle gave um, of when we were defending China for a round, I basically just had to throw a lot of matter first. And then we had to construct possible arguments to use that matter with.
1: Yeah, so it it, it really depends. So my recommendation would be, in the first part of prep, you make the argument first and then put matter afterwards. And then if you exhaust all the basic arguments, that's when you use matter to inspire thinking for more arguments mm. so I, I, I suppose if you're preparing for a prime minister speech you make the argument first and then the matter and if you're a deputy you look at the matter first and then make the argument yeah or if you're a member usually you do the
0: same thing if you have niche matter use that to your advantage so we're not going to talk about specific matter involved in IR or else this episode will never end there's just too much to know too many countries too many relationships being torn apart and being built every day and every month So I'll give you just general tips for how to matter loot for IR. The first would be make sure you know the basics like country names, capitals, leaders, and the geography. And it's best to have an almanac with you when you do
1: this. A lot of debaters, they have almanacs, but they only bring them out during tournaments. At least that's what I did during high school and I never used an almanac and I, I regret it. Because the, the reason why that, that was so bad for me is because I knew that I needed an almanac. But I never took the time to familiarize myself with how to use the almanac before the training or before the tournament. So the tip here is, that there are two actual tips here. The first one is get an almanac. And the second one is before training or before a tournament, already try to read up and like, study how to use it. So it's like familiarizing yourself with how to use a dictionary. Just like that. If you if you treat it like you're just learning how to use a dictionary, it's going to be much easier. Because it's easy to use a dictionary.
0: Well, you don't need to have an almanac. I've never owned an almanac. It's too expensive for me. And I, I never came from a debate society that provided one. Um, so I, I just read up a lot. I would print when I can. I used my bullseye books. So you don't need to have an almanac. Just have something, a map at least. Because that already provides you with a lot of information that other debaters don't know
1: or have. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Uh, I had a I had an international co- an international law class, and one of the first things that my professor said was, Hey, bring a map. And I was like, Oh, damn. We're going <laughs> to we're going to talk about geography here. So we're talking about, Oh, this is the this is the North Sea, and these are the countries. Oh, God damn. I can't I can't read this map. Oh my God. Learn how to read a map. Then learn how to read a map.
0: Okay besides that also make sure for example that you read history summaries or watch a lot of videos keep up to date with current affairs this is useful because even if you don't know exactly what is happening it becomes easier to infer information based on what you've already known or things you've read even on twitter things you've watched on youtube so always find time to matter load even if you don't want to the uh, again if you listen to our previous episode which is also a good way to learn about matter loading by the way <laughs> you will find out that Kyle and I matter load a lot through YouTube I yeah. I watch a lot of Vox for example or those indie channels that just really love history because they're nerdy it helps it helps
1: yeah and if, uh, if the event is ongoing for example the coronavirus um, outbreak it, it helps to make a timeline so when when you're reading up on the coronavirus we actually look at the, the Wikipedia <laughs> page for it. Mm. like They have really detailed timelines on it. Sometimes it's contradictory information but you know, it's Wikipedia so you always have to cross-check with other sources. But anyway, it's either you have a history summary or you make your own timeline. You make your own summary. Um, Also, listen to our episode on matter loading for more specific tips. Um, Some additional ones, I think you can probably look at some case studies if you have them. So, um, I I realized that one of the previous tips about having one example per premise per argument might seem a bit difficult because it takes up a lot of time, which is why in some cases having a case study is better because you have one really complicated example and then you can extract different parts of that case study to fit the example requirement if you're going to use that that guideline. Um, you can also take a look at treaties and their compliance, the compliance of states with them. You can, you can actually look at a lot of things for IR, like recently I just discovered that when the UNSC, the UN Security Council, Mm -hmm. makes resolutions, they publish the um, debates about those resolutions, and in one of them, the most recent example I can think of was when I was looking at the resolution for Venezuela, like giving aid to Venezuela, and the United States was going like, no, they should accept our aid, our humanitarian aid, and Russia who vetoed it, I think. Russia was saying don't really believe in what the US is saying because actually China and Russia have been giving aid to Venezuela. So it's not it it's more of US trying to in like interfere with the sovereignty of Venezuela than hmm. Venezuela actually just wanting the to aid. Yeah. Yeah. So
0: that's that's one example. I'm pretty sure there's a lot more complicated aspects of international relations that you can understand if you look at case studies so that's it generally for facts again very overwhelming but if you know where to start and how to start eventually it'll become a sort of habit it'll be something that's second nature and it won't be as difficult anymore to debate about international relations
1: yeah and in my opinion if your concern is you don't know where to start because there are many different places for you to start my recommendation is just start just start anywhere. Just start anywhere. Yeah. And then build build from there.
0: Yeah, sometimes you end up on a rabbit hole. I look at one article and then I end up pressing links and then the next thing you know I'm learning about world history without intending to. That's always a good way. It's if... the
1: beauty of matter loading in my opinion.
0: <laughs> well, that's only because the, the two of us are easily distracted. So <laughs> we end up learning a lot because we like pressing links and looking at resources. So I guess also developing that habit is a good thing. Okay, the third thing to look at besides looking at the actors, besides looking at the facts, you can look at the states' rights. And this is a little bit more complicated than the first two, but something that will be easy once you know how to break it down. So most IR motions usually have something to do with the rights of states, which is 1. The right to do something like intervene, um, tax imports, travel restrictions, etc. The second would be the right to have something done to them, which is be given economic aid, be granted asylum, etc. As well as three, the right to have nothing done to them. Not have interventions, not have impositions, sovereignty, all those different things. So I think breaking down the state's rights into these three different things makes it easier for you to understand what kind of debate you're meant to have and what kind of motion it is that you're encountering. So what do you focus on? I think the first thing that you focus on is domestic order. And that may sound like a big word, but basically it just means that a lot of international relations boils down to the needs of the countries involved. So for example, aid is given for a domestic purpose or to achieve a domestic order like granting people food or granting people shelter or giving them infrastructure that they need. So that aids in the domestic order. Aid is also given due to some domestic urgency. So focusing on domestic affairs usually gives a good background to understanding why there is a right or no right for something to be done. I think, for example, looking at US as well, why should should they intervene? What domestic benefit do they get for intervening in another country? And you might think they're just doing it out of kindness, but usually there's something that they gain like oil, allegiances, um, power over a particular country, etc.,
1: You can also take a look at, aside from domestic order, you can also take a look at um, compensation and redress because a really big buzzword in international relations is the concept of justice and the past relationships between countries and IR is not just about current affairs but how history has shaped those affairs. You can look at the rights of international actors based on their histories and the deprivations they've experienced or even abuses that particular actors have committed so my recommendation here is, if you want to be more specific, look at RCWA, the Articles of the Responsibility of States for Internationally Wrongful Actions. Um, so there you can find that um, in order to make people uh, states responsible for some actions, you look at whether or not they have an obligation. Um, you can look at whether or not they committed an act or omission that is attrib- attributable to the state and RCO gives you guidelines on how to attribute things to the state. Um, that violates those obligations and it also gives you an idea of the different ways that you can have reparation. It's not just about money. The first thing that states should be able to do is to reverse it, um, the the damage that they've done. But if they can't do it, it's just payment. If they can't do payment, you have symbolic reparations. Like an apology. Like an apology. Mm -hmm. And if you look at um, the Libingan ng Mga Bayani cases, there was a part in the dissent where they were talking about um, symbolic reparation to the human rights victims and putting Marcos in the Libinganao ng Bayani is a bad form of symbolic reparation. So yeah, that's one of the things that you can take a look at.
0: Yeah, and especially between countries given all the wars they've been through, there's a lot of compensation and redress issues that will come up. For example, comfort women is still a big issue even if that was like years ago. Um, or stealing of land, still relevant today and usually looking at compensation and redress will help you understand not just the relationship but things that can be done to improve or even like weaken the relationships that countries have with each other so besides compensation and redress you can also also look at international law and order so this is usually about peace and protection again also big words in international relations so you look at their trade you look at their diplomacy you look at their treaties you look at their conventions yeah and
1: I suppose this is a good time to think about whether or not those treaties or conventions are binding. And there are lots of articles, and I can send you some, about whether or not international law is really law. And considering that a lot of them aren't binding. For example, and we're going to talk about this later, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. It's not actually binding. People think it's binding, but it's not binding as an instrument it's only binding insofar so far as it codifies customary law but yeah. as an instrument it's not really binding so is it really law it,
0: it's sort of like a guideline it reminds you of that line in pirates of the caribbean like the pirates code it's not really a law it's more like a guideline apparently. yeah yeah i remember that I, I don't remember the specific lines but i even pirates have their own sort of yeah. code
1: <laughs> if you're looking at trade you can look at you can look at biat which is basically the general agreements (laughs) on trade (laughs) yeah Yeah. Um, if you're looking at diplomacy you can look at how states treat diplomats you can look at the VCLT oh no not the VCLT that's a law on treaties. You can look at the VCDR, the Vienna Convention on Diplomatic Relations, you can look at the Vienna Convention on Consular Relations. Okay, Those okay, we get it.
0: We get it. We get it. There's a lot, right? So besides looking at international law and order, you can also, and more importantly, look at the rights of citizens. This is the most important aspect for me to consider, especially since state actors exist mostly for the benefit of the people on the ground. So the best way to discuss international relations is by looking at the rights of the people, how these rights can be improved or how these rights are violated so this is where the idea of intern, uh, the responsibility to protect is often used to justify interventions because this premium is placed on human rights so like kyle mentioned the universal declaration of human rights is something to look at the international convention on civil and political rights is something to look at also the international convention on economic social and cultural rights and again these are law documents but basically, just to read summaries of them online. We don't expect you to know every single section and article involved in this. But it, it helps if you do, like like Kyle does. Or it helps you just have a summary like I do.
1: Yeah. I think now I really want to talk about ICCPR. And okay, we'll so have the, another episode for Okay, that. fine. Okay, fine. You, you can also take a look at um, the Geneva Conventions and their additional protocols. Because what you said was talking about the rights of people during peacetime but during war you look at the geneva conventions because they outline the rights that are given to um to to the civilian population what states can and cannot do what are the rights of soldiers who are or the combat which are like out of combat Mm -hmm. those kinds of things so miscellaneous tips like this is the last part of this really long episode um, the first one, the for me, the most important one is don't be a dick. Like, don't be racist. Don't be orientalist. Just to prove a point. Don't make sweeping generalizations like, China kasi, they, they like eating bats. Yeah, like, don't do that. <laughs> yes, don't. <laughs> Please do not do that.
0: I, you think you're winning, but really, you're just looking like a really bad person. You're not helping yourself. You're not helping the world. You're not helping the debate whatsoever.
1: Yeah, so I, I think... If you want to make statements about the behavior of a particular country and you don't want to sound racist doing it, do not frame it in such a way that like, you, you, it's supposed to be derogatory. Try to approach it from a point of understanding. Like, you, you want to understand why China does the things that it does, why Russia does the things it does, why the United States does the things that it does. So in order to avoid being racist, you don't look at their status as this particular country or their label as um, US, China, Russia and look at like their perspectives first. Yeah.
0: My general rule is to talk as if the that person you're making a statement about is in the room. So you don't want to offend anyone. So just keep an active mind. Pretend that the world is watching you and you will be cancelled in Twitter if you say anything wrong. And this is also why equity officers now exist in tournaments. To avoid the
1: tendency of the people being mean (laughs) yeah like if i said that like chinese people just keep eating bats like you would you would get so mad at me yeah like you would get so mad at me as an equity officer
0: yep so another way to avoid that is be specific Uh, be as specific as possible so when you are debating about international relations it really helps if you can pinpoint particular instances if you can pinpoint dates if you can pinpoint who is involved, if you can pinpoint what exactly are the laws and policies and actions of states or people or movements, etc. The third would be, obviously, matter load. This goes without saying. Um, resources are your friends. Though you don't need expensive ones. I never owned an almanac, as I mentioned. So the internet, since I'm sure you have internet if you're listening to this episode, use it. There's so much knowledge on the tip of our fingers, and we're using it just to look at cat videos. I'm not telling you to stop looking at cats, but learn how to multitask.
1: Just because you don't like cats. Uh,
0: okay, fine. Looking at dogs. I like dogs. I look at dog pictures while I have a podcast in the background or
1: while I'm reading an article in another tab. You can keep a matter file of basic information. You can have matter primers on it. Um, again, for matter loading, one of my most important tips is to just, just, just do it. Just start and like at some point you're gonna be like oh i actually enjoy this now and like as a as a new debate when i was a new debater i, I distinctly remember this one part when i started saying oh i actually enjoy matter loading <laughs> Ooh. well maybe Ooh. you're just a nerd <laughs> yeah and it, it actually helps if you have someone to um share the things that you learned with because and i learned this recently through matter loading mm. that you tend to remember things better when you share them with others when you're teaching them to others you end up like being able to better understand and better remember these things
0: yeah like when we started this podcast i can say from a year ago i learned so much um and i know so much now because i've been forced to research because i have to talk to all of you listeners
1: (laughs) yeah and the last one stop fearing ir because every tournament will have it whether you're ready or not Even if you retired, even though retirement and debate is a myth, even if you quote-unquote retire, it's still going to be relevant to you. You're still going to have to wake up and face the reality that a lot of the issues that you're going to be dealing with or other people are dealing with, they have IR elements baked into the very fabric of their existence.
0: So that's it for this episode. Thank you for listening to us discuss my baby, international relations, and and Kyle's adopted baby because he has no choice. (laughs) so that's it for this episode thanks for listening I'm Nina I'm Kyle see See you next time Bye -bye. bye